0: Welcome to the Spirited Advocate podcast, brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, the leading voice for the distilled spirits industry. Now, your host, Chris Swanger.
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Spirited Advocate podcast. Now, we got quite a guest today, and let me just start off by saying we have a chemical engineer on the podcast. Let me introduce Doug Hall, Eureka Ranch brain brew, custom whiskey, right outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, about seven miles away from the Kentucky border. Uh, But our friend Doug has an amazing story and is gonna tell us all about how the mixture of whiskeys back in the 1800s, and he has brought that back to life here uh, in today's world. And we're very lucky for it. Doug is an inventor, a researcher, author, educator, in a whiskey maker, of course. And again, he resides in the great city of Cincinnati, Ohio. So Doug, thank you for joining us. And we're looking forward and excited to hear the story and the history. Uh, tell us a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, uh, just about how you came about on this lovely idea of creating a distillery and looking back in the history from the 1800s.
0: Well, I, I've always loved to invent. And I went from chemical engineering to marketing at Procter & Gamble and did 10 years and then started the Eureka Ranch working with all kinds of companies on innovation, Nike, Disney, you name it. But I love whiskey. So I got into, I worked for Diageo and then connected with Edrington. And of course, I love the fact that they're owned by a nonprofit. And of course, the McAllen is is obviously a big product. the way scotch, yep. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit old. It, McCallum cost $38 when I started working with them. So so it was some time ago. Um, and it was there that I learned that the value of finishing, as they do with their sherry oak casks, and that 70 or 80% of the flavor of whiskey comes from the wood. And so being a chemical engineer with a minor in pulp and paper, this intrigued me from a chemical standpoint, sure. how this reaction happens. Okay, it was fascinating. But then I started to do a bunch of research to say, what else, what could you do with this if you could manage it? And my co-founder and I, Joe Gergash, we did, like we teach at the Eureka Ranch, we did 3,000 experiments, maybe a bit compulsive, okay, maybe a bit crazy. And after 18 months, we entered the North American Bourbon Championship. And we won two of eight double golds. You know, wow, only Sazerac nudged us out. And I, Sazerac's like epic, I have the greatest respect sure. for them. And that's when I said, Hey, wait a minute, we might be on to something. Um, we, we might have an idea here that could be something um, with what we called woodcraft finishing, where we use different woods to finish the bourbon to develop really, really unique and wonderful tastes.
1: And uh, so tell us about that, different woods. So with with bourbon, you've got to use oak, right? You've got to use oak. Uh, so is it different kinds of oaks that you have to use? How, how does that work? Well, forgive me well,
0: if it's a silly question. Yeah, no, that's a good question. So the rule is you have to, it has to be a new American oak to be right. bourbon, obviously. And that's yeah. the rules. That's 51% corn, et cetera. But then you can finish it. Um, and so you can finish it, it becomes a distilled spirit specialty at that point, bourbon whiskey finished with, and, you know, given that the wood is the source of the flavor, um, we do a finishing with American oak, we do one with European oak, 200-year wow. oak, and that maple gives wood, good cherry wood, and smoked
1: oak. Wow, exciting. And tell us about the history uh, I mean, there, there's a, a, a lot of heritage built in with your uh, distillery. Uh, tell us about, take us back to the 1800s because uh, this was a practice, I guess, back, back in the day and you all have really brought it to life, right?
0: Yeah, it, it was an interesting time, the 1800s. This is the pre-prohibition time that we don't spend a lot of time talking with because you, know, you really didn't have brands as we know them because um, even bottling didn't really happen till the turn of the century. I mean, it was mostly a jug and you had distillers. And, and I'm going to use that term loosely because many of them were just a farmer who turned their grain into barrels of whiskey they could sell. Sure. And Cincinnati had 75 whiskey merchants or blenders or, you know, um, who you would go into. And some of them would have a blend. The same was going on with Scotland with John Walker. same thing is yeah. going on basically around the world. And you'd go in, you'd say, I kind of like this, or I want to taste like this, and they'd put it together for you. Now, many of those would use different things. Maybe they got a Madeira cask that came over, and so they put some in that to make maybe a higher end. There were also less than reputable ones um, that that would rectify and put pollutants in it, but there were good ones as well as bad ones, just like in anything. Um, And these would do, and at that time, 85% 85% of the whiskey in America was coming from the Cincinnati area. Now, that's northern 85% Kentucky. 85% of the whiskey
1: during that time.
0: Yeah. but it, And the reason that was wasn't because um, whiskey was was the thing. It's just this was the big city. I mean, this was like Chicago, L.A., New York, all in one. This was the mega city here, the big riverboat port. That's where the money was. And the people there would fund people making it in Northern Kentucky, Indiana, right in this region. And so this was the marketplace. And of course, post-prohibition, it went south into Kentucky because of where the medicinal permits were. But it was a, it was an exciting time. Whiskey Row in Louisville was all merchants. And you'd go in and make your whiskey. And I thought, that's really cool that everybody could have their own bourbon. I mean, it started your in 1821, it was called bourbon, but you know, sure. back then your own customized bourbon right? right
1: so you could you could use different at the time were they using different woods to do that or were they just mixing the whiskeys together and seeing they they,
0: and- they were well i mean right now obviously people mix barrels from the top of the rickhouse and the bottom of the rickhouse i mean except for single mm-hmm. barrels all whiskey is basically barrel blended mixing different ones together where you want maybe a bass note, or a better finish, or high notes, or to add complexity to it. Um, And so they would be mixing barrels, and then they were trying everything. Um, There was a group of brothers that were trying to put them into warm places to accelerate it. Um, I mean, this is something that's gone on for years, most of which is out of control, and it becomes like a beaver chewing wood, you know, it gets to be pretty bad. But the idea was to get people, as these cities were coming to life, um, you know, before that in the 1700s, it was mostly farmers doing it, but now you had people living in cities as the industrial age was coming and they'd go in with their clay jug and get it filled. Okay, their own customized bourbon, essentially. Yeah, right. That's right. Uh, that's how it was.
1: Fascinating. And you've taken your business to help adopt that essentially, right?
0: Yeah. So yeah, we have two parts. One, we do collaborations, but the other thing that we do is custom whiskey. Um, and primarily bourbon, although we are doing some single malt stuff too. But the idea is, is that everybody can, we believe everybody deserves their own bourbon. Um, Without spending, you know, 10 or $13,000 on a single barrel, they can get one bottle of their custom bourbon. So tell me this, Doug. So I had to last night, I
1: had the chance to take the bourbon wizard test. From beginning to end, it was fascinating, and it really made me feel like I was a part of the process. Uh, so t- tell us about the bourbon wizard test. And for anybody listening to this podcast, you need to check it out. It's, it's,
0: it's good fun. So so this whole thing started with this simple idea, you know, the kind of thing that comes up in brainstorming, but you toss out a saying, you know, let's be practical. And the idea was, do personal bourbon like the 1800s. Um, and I'd done some custom products before for Nike and Procter & Gamble and Russell Carina. So we're, we're familiar with that. the issues of scaling. So the Bourbon Wizard at craftmybourbon.com is one of those three ways you can do it. We have live experiences, home party kits, and the Wizard. And the yeah. Wizard is a artificial intelligence app created by the stat geeks at the Eureka Ranch, our sister company. And um, when you answer the 13 questions and then... Voila! I mean, they basically took the wisdom of our three blenders and put it into the machine, um, and, and then gives you a recipe of the six um, from the six bourbons, wood finished bourbons that we've got. Uh, plus, it gives you automated tasting notes so that you can get a virtual tasting of what it's like. Uh, customized cocktails, customized to your tastes and your your custom bourbon. Um, And at distilleries or high volume places like big restaurants or country clubs, you can literally walk up and hold your phone up and there's a QR code at the end if you scroll down. And we can literally, we have this amazing blending machine that can pour in about 10 seconds, can pour you a drink of your personal bourbon. Wow. It's freaking amazing. It's so cool. Really a lot of fun. Do you have a personal
1: favorite? Uh, Obviously you're a connoisseur for whiskey. I guess that's a tough question, right? But do you have your...
0: Yeah, well, vibes? I mean, well, the beauty of this is you don't, you know, I don't know any bourbon lovers who have one bottle at home. Sure. You sure. know, we, we right. tend to have for different moments. So I've got, I've got a custom bourbon that I really enjoy to have with cocktails. I actually have yeah. a different one. I like to do smoked Manhattans. So I have a lot of smoke in my Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got another one for lighter, more refreshing drinks that I have. I've got a great sipping one that uses the 200-year oak, the European, and the you know kind of a more classical taste. Um, and so, you know, it depends we, on the you moment. can literally do it for what your moments are. Many customers have come in. Well, uh, you know, bourbon lovers will usually have at least two or three. They'll have two. They'll have one that's kind of the perfect bookends. You know, before dinner, this is the one I want to have in my cocktail. After dinner, this is the one I want to have as a sipper. So fun. Um, So, and you can do that now. Yeah,
1: so fun. And tell me, I mean, some of your blends, Doug, have gotten the attention, and you've mentioned Edrington. Uh, Tell us about Noble Oak Double Oak Rye. And I've got this bottle right
0: here, and it's yeah. So, so, you know, obviously, I've worked with them a long time. So, after I did the experiments, I went over and one of my meetings over there working on them because I've worked with them for for, literally for over 20 years. And I said, Hey, you want to taste something? (laughs) And they said, what's this? And I said, well, it's this new woodcraft thing that I'm doing. And, uh, said, that's pretty interesting. And, uh, we connected up with them and, uh, and they said, well, let's run some experiments. And we just did a little set of experiments in Rhode Island. Um, and people really liked it. And so, um, then worked with the marketing team in New York led by Jim Brennan and uh, came up with noble oak bourbon and rye and the dang thing has been it's it's crazy I mean it's basically got your bourbon and then we finish it with European sherry oak staves um, and it's just it is, epic it's, it's epic ep- it's epic is
1: cool. the, the way I would call it I'm, i I mm. Tell us about, uh, I'm just going to go off a little bit, sustainability. Is it true that y'all plant a tree? Do I have that right? A tree?
0: That's right. Yeah. Jim and the team. I mean, this is, again, I mean, why why be normal? You know? I mean, if you want to break through in today's market, you can't do the same old, same old. And they had the courage, which is just so epic, and it's so Edrington, to do the right thing. So for every bottle bought, they plant a tree. I did not know that. And they put together a system and it's the same thing with us. I mean, we're taking staves that have been used and, and, you know, and using those. And so we work very hard to be as sustainable as we possibly can to do the right thing. And consumers have really, I mean, you know, it's one of these things that's doing this rocket ship ride, you know, that triple digit growth. and all of the 95s that rye you've got there's a 97 we only got beat by Sazerac with a 99 again damn it Sazerac! they keep beating the one i gotta get them go get them watch out watch out i gotta i gotta get them i gotta get them um and you know we've got you know we've gotten now i guess five top 100 spirits and you know all these crazy things um and so we've just been very fortunate that these new flavors and tastes people are reacting very positive to it and when you combine Edrington's marketing with Noble Oak, which is available across the country, um, you know it's just been a, a crazy right. success. A crazy In success. And Edrington
1: is such a first class company. I'm proud to say Edrington serves on the, the, the board of directors for Discus and uh, their team, Mark Bronfeld, uh Paul Ross, uh, uh, Chris Spaulding as well. Uh, those are the folks that we work with here and kudos yeah, for you uh, bringing together. And really awesome, uh, what y'all do together. I think on
0: on the sustainability front. Uh, yeah, they're they're a really, I mean, they're a very unbelievably good company. Challenging to work with. I mean, the quality that we have to go through. High expectations. Um, high expectations. Oh my god. Oh my god. And it's and and as you know, as an engineer who who would work in manufacturing, it's so nice to see such a commitment to quality. Um, you know, that they're committed to. They're just amazing partners.
1: Doug, random, random question, but uh, what's your view on the whole issue of uh, the, the discussions going on now about American single malt whiskey? Do you have a perspective on that? Yeah. Uh, so TV's about about likely issue or rulemaking, I think yeah. uh, within the year, any, any perspective
0: on that, not to get yeah. in
1: any controversial. I have a, so,
0: so with the technology we have, I mean, obviously by starting from Edmonton, all of our products are more of the luxury grade as opposed to most distillers that are based. I mean, we're making higher end products. Cause that's just what we do. Um, and we well, like, when we did our smoke, I could have used Pete, but instead I went for an American twist on it, a barbecue, nice American taste for a smoke. Right. And I think it's the same thing with single malt. Um, I just, you know, Scotland makes wonderful products. I love them. I love McCown. I, my personal favorite is Highland Park, I, I, which is also one of their brands. And I just, I love Scotch whiskey, but they've done that. And their terroir, their temperature, the thermodynamics in their area make for that. We need to create our own thing and not try to be a clone. So, sure. we just did a we just did a single we did some experiments with single malts because, of course, in some countries, single malts bigger than bourbon, obviously. And yeah. so, we want to do custom. We want to take custom whiskey all over the world. I mean, we've got yeah. patents all over the world for what we're doing. You um, know, dozens of patents, and so we want to take it there. And and so, but when, when I did the single malt, we said let's make ours unique so that we've got the complexity of the barley but then we work the, the finishing so to give it a clean finish so that it's something cuz of course bourbon's so much bigger than scotch in america yeah that it could appeal to the american consumer um, and and you know we got you know mid 90s scores and golds and all of that stuff for the thing cuz we find it's really good to use like ultimate spirits in san francisco as kind of like test grounds before you yep. take it to market yeah yep. it really helps you and um, and I didn't know how, if the world would react to it, but I think we've got to come together as a community and say American single malt's going to be different. We're gonna do distinct. something that's the American way, not a clone. Let Scotland be Scotland. It's wonderful and it's beautiful. Um, let's do ours. let's do our thing.
1: absolutely uh, well those, those deliberations, I think, will be coming up fairly soon, I think, uh, because uh, TTB just recently announced uh, plans to do a rulemaking on that. And uh, I know it will spark some, quite a bit of discussion, but, uh, you know, with the growth of bourbon, uh, not only, not only uh, here in the U.S., but around the world, uh, it's important that we land on a solution that is right for everybody. And like you said, distinctly American,
0: right? So. Yeah, and give it, you know, distilled spirit specialties allow us to bring creativity to it. Um, and this is America, damn it. You know, That's right. We're, we're not old and stodgy. I'm not saying they are, but you know, let's not get, we don't wanna be a museum piece. We yeah. wanna bring innovation and new ideas. I mean, my whole life has been about innovation. And bringing, you know, respectful following processes, but at the same time, make sure we don't tighten up the rules so tight that there's no ability to think. Absolutely.
1: Doug, did your training at Procter & Gamble, I mean, Procter & Gamble is one of the, you know, know, most recognized, you know, consumer brand companies in the world. Uh, You know, if you land a job at Procter & Gamble out of college, you're doing good, right? So, I mean, you started there. How much is your uh, uh, training and time at Procter & Gamble uh, help contribute to the success that you're having today?
0: Oh, it's the fundamentals. I mean, we we teach courses on campus and and that stuff, but it's the fundamentals of, of what I learned and the two things that were fundamental to it. One is you got to have a product that's meaningfully unique. You got to offer the customers, in our case, a taste they can't get it any other way, and the ability to have custom. And the second thing is do the math, damn it. <laughs> you know, on the economic, the economic yeah, what's the route to market? What's the business model? I mean, before that became hip and popular, we were looking at that. And that's how we've worked with our distillery. You know, the idea of making a product and then going state by state with distributors. That's suicide for a craft guy. We had to find a different economic model to make that work. And Could you and tell so, us
1: about that a little bit? How did yeah. how did you approach that?
0: Yes. Yeah, so, so, you know, as it turns out, um, you know, I'm in Ohio, uh, control yeah. state. And so when I sell a bottle, basically I get half and the Fed and, and state government takes the other half. That's just the way the math is. Yeah. In Kentucky, it's a lot better. In Indiana, it's a lot better. Um, but that's the way it is. But So that's my gross margin before all my costs. When I sell an experience, which we can do here, I make a 95% margin. Well, 95% plus some 50% starts to get pretty good, and you change Absolutely. the whole economic model. Sure. And then when I go into a bar instead of going in and doing promotions and tastings i just say would you like your own whiskey and the bartenders go shit that's awesome yeah i'd like to yeah that's hard to turn down right so i don't have to flip it on its head you flip things on its head how you go to market that's right and so so we we built that and we saw it was so good that we have basically two parts of the business one is collaborations like with Edrington, and we're in discussions with a number of other big companies about helping them make um, other ultra premium and luxury spirits for them, because there's a little bit of a supply problem, and we can get a lot more supply than they can. Um, And so we're doing collaborations, which is good business, and it's fun to work with them. And we are used to working with big companies, so it's not a big deal for us. Um, And then the second thing we're doing is, is we're taking our Woodcraft bourbon blending, and we're franchising it. And we'll be opening the first one in Louisville um, on Whiskey Row in in August. And that will be a flagship store, which will be in big tourism places. And then we're also going to do fractionals inside existing distilleries, breweries and wineries where they can get that extra margin so that they can make more money. Sure. Um, You know, to just give them another income stream that's real profitable and that really plays to them. And so we, we've got a franchising business and then we've got a collaboration business. And those are different economic models than you know, the traditional distiller would be doing. Sure. Doug, how would you
1: see uh, uh, e-commerce uh, in terms of the future for the industry? I mean, uh, e-commerce can come in a lot of different forms, uh, obviously. Do you see e-commerce as a, as a, a, a significant new channel? Uh, or, uh, is that not part of the overall kind
0: of business plan that you've adopted? So, so we do it as you know, there's some States where we can do it direct and we use it primarily as an experimentation system because it, because we run fail fast, fail cheap experiments. I mean, that's what we do. We run very, very many, many, I mean, I'm, I'm not that smart, but I can fail faster and learn faster than anybody else. And I mean, that's our whole mentality is very rapid testing. I mean, we can make something and do it. Um, Within the law, doing it legally. And so we use the direct mail for that. The challenge with it is the economics. The economics. It's the economics, when you really put the real numbers to it, and I'm, you know, I'm big on, again, do the math, PNG, do the math, no, you know, highfalutin, confront the realities. And when you get to shipping, these bottles are heavy. When you have to have, alcohol verification and they drive out in New Hampshire to the sticks and they're not there and they have to go back again and you get charged. Yeah. Um, There is a math here that is, can be challenging. Now, some of the local delivery through retail outlets until the laws get sorted out, I think it's a good thing to do. It's a spice, but it's hard for a craft distiller. Now the big brands um, have got obviously some leverage in that, those cases to do that. But for a craft distiller, I mean, it's good with custom whiskey. We sell, all, I mean, Father's Day, you know, we just, we sold stupid Blew it off, Father's Day. Okay. And people will pay anything for it shipped in at Father's Day and Christmas. Um, but, you know, you got, I tell the team, I said, guys, we got 12 months. We have to make money, not two months. That's right. You know, and, yeah. uh, and birthdays help and anniversaries and all of that kind of stuff. But it is a. Uh, I think it's a good part. It's a it's a revenue stream. It's not the answer to the craft problem. That's right. That's right. But it ultimately can help
1: create those experiences, right, in consumer pull in some form. But agree that there there's still a lot of outstanding questions on the economics of
0: it. I mean, of course. Yeah, we've, we've got had- a yeah. So we had. I mean, we had have one of the things that we found because we then think about ways to leverage it. Yeah. And. And, and so we have a live experience. It's just a ton of fun where we take you through the blending and you learn how to do it and you make it some more tactile versus the digital version. Um, but we also made a party kit, which is that exact same thing where they do it. And over the holidays, we did a whole lot of company parties where Joe or I would be leading people through it in 10 different cities, you know, as they were doing it. Absolutely. You know, and these are new things. So they're awesome. So, Doug, thank you for your
1: engagement in Discus. Uh, You know, as as you've been in the industry now, uh, how important is it to engage in the public policy process? Of course, you know, a trade association, our primary job is to do that on behalf of our members and so forth. But do you see uh, supporting the engagement of the public policy process?
0: Uh, an important foundation for
1: future growth? Uh,
0: it is. I want to take a lot of my brethren in the craft world and shake them on this thing. Um, it is critical. I mean, I as it turns out, Rob Portman, um, Senator Portman from Ohio, Senator just Portman. lives a few miles from here. And we've known each other. Our kids went to school for a long, long time. And so I had been talking with him for some time on that. And that's how I bumped into you folks was because I was holding, you know, because we're just friends and in support and of the craft it.
1: beverage modernization tax reform. That, that's was a That's big right. That's run. right.
0: And, and the work you folks do is fundamental. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest with you, if when you know all of the math and most of the craft people don't know the math. When you really understand the math, you got to be nuts to open a craft distillery. Yeah. Um it's hard because you got to ch- you got to ch- it's hard. It's hard. Um and but you can make it work if you innovate we need help and the work that discus does discus is the group that does it this is is the group they're the voice for the real spirits and we i know we've got some craft associations and they're wonderful and i love them and we're members of those too and we go to the conferences and we do that but the people that are going to make the big change happen is discus discus is the group that really does it. And I've been working with your folks. They've been wonderful. We've been talking, I, I, I did one of the training things and, and I'm on the advisory group and, 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 and helping because I tell them, I said, you know, cause I know both worlds. I know the big company. Cause that's sure. been my career, yeah. you know, for many, many years. But we've got to get the craft people to get this and understand it. And we've got to get the bridges between the big companies and the craft people because when you get into this industry, you know I came from the big companies. You know, just the price I pay for bottles, the price I pay for everything. You know, there's there's so many tiers, and it's so stacked against the little guys that you know we need help. And and Discus is the forum where we can bring that together. And without regulatory change, um, it's going to go. If we don't proactively do it, it's going to go reactively negative on us yeah Italy, we have yeah. no choice we yeah. have no choice we have no choice we must lead this and you're the group to do it well well thank
1: you for that and uh look uh, uh, i've when i arrived in november 2018 uh i was in the industry for 15 years and then came back after a 10-year break and the growth of the craft distilling movement has been phenomenal. And thanks to our board and all of our member companies, uh, we're lucky to be a well funded organization. And sometimes there is a debate on the interests of the bigger companies versus the smaller companies. 90 per, 95% of the issues are issues that craft distillers, and the large companies all agree with. And we'll work through some of those issues that may be more impactful for a craft distiller versus a larger member company. But if the industry can unite and come together, large and small coming together, that will ultimately help us uh, make greater progress in the modernization of the beverage alcohol marketplace. And we have to do that state by state. Uh, That's part of the a challenge, but also opportunity. So you're, you're, you're being an evangelist of that, uh, obviously is an inspiration for all of us at Discus. And thank you for your work with Senator Portman. Uh, and thankfully we got the Craft Beverage Modernization Tax Reform yeah. Act uh, passed and made permanent in December. Thank goodness and so forth. So we appreciate all of your leadership. Uh, now we go down to the kind of the fire drill round, just a couple of quick questions for you. Uh, sure. if you could be anywhere in the world at this moment, just like, you remember the show Bewitched where, yep. uh, Darren could twinkle his nose. Uh, if you could be anywhere in the world right now and have, uh, one of your custom made great blended whiskeys, uh, where would that be?
0: Um, I'd want to be, as you, you probably figured, in the 1800s, in Cincinnati. I'd, want to I be, loved it. I'd like to be on 4th Street in the home of Edmund Dexter, who is one of the most famous whiskey makers in America. Charles Dickens and King Edward stayed at his house. And I'd like to be there, when, being an author, I've written you know, six books, uh, I'd like to be there with Charles Dickens. Um, and and sitting with him I think that would have been that would be epic that's a twofer because you're also
1: going back in time too that's even better yet so fun so fun and and if you could have any drink at that time would it be the noble oak double oak rye or what would it be would Uh, you want to taste the whiskeys that they were
0: sipping back in the day I definitely wouldn't want to taste the whiskeys they were having back then because <laughs> <I guess, laughs> they were I guess. not very good. Let's just be clear. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we know what it was, but we, we made um, one of our COVID projects was to make the best whiskey in the world that we could figure out how to make. And so we went and just used everything that we knew and reinvented it, how we did our finishing. And we created a product called, uh, named after Edmund Dexter, a bourbon, which got huge scores, top 100 spirits and all that kind of crap. Um, And what I would want to do is I would want to have that, and again, I'm a nutcase on history on this stuff, I would like to have the Dexter Bourbon, to have him taste it, um, which would be mind-blowing to him, because it's just a thing, this is a brand that we have. Dexter
1: Bourbon, Dexter Bourbon.
0: And and I would have it as Charles Dickens, just after he stayed with Edmund, he wrote a letter to Washington Irving of Sleepy Hollow, you know, the, the author, and he described a cocktail which was muddled orange, mint, and sugar. It's kind of a smash, we'd call it today. And, and I would like to have that, you know, Dale DeGroff of course uses lemon in his smash, but this is orange. And I would like, the orange works really well with the Dexter Bourbon. And it's an amazing cocktail. And I would like to have Charles Dickens have, you know, I'm gonna to try to upgrade his, his, his drink. And it's a wonderful drink. And we'd sit there and have this mint julep sour combination Um, sitting on 4th Street in his wonderful home there, um, talking books and writing and uh, what was going on with the Civil War, which, by the way, that time, 1860, around there, that's not a lot different than the world we're in today. Today. Things being debated, you know, this is Emancipation Proclamation time and all this stuff. And I just love to talk about how can we bring people together and, you know, sitting on his front porch there, which was epic right on 4th Street and... uh, enjoying Charles Dickens' cocktail.
1: And I tell you, I mean, that's what's great about our industry is it can bring people together, right? People from uh, different walks of life and really uh, 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 just bring people together, right? And you know, that's it, part of the challenges that our country's been experiencing over the last year or so.
0: Chris, it's, it's been fascinating as we put together the custom bourbon experience. There's a lot of thou shalt not you know, you should drink it this way. You should spell whiskey this way. And so one of the things we put out at the very opening of the presentation is we say, we're about bringing people together. That's what American whiskey is about. It's about and not, or, you know, we and love use the classic ones e we love sometimes our you stuff. don't
1: use the E too, right? You don't care if it's whiskey with an E or
0: not without an E, right? Yeah, we spell it all capital, except for the E we put in lowercase. And, and so whiskey with a need, but it's a lowercase that you can do it either way. And I, we, I really feel like, you know, we're not, people want to get in a fight. I should drink it this way. I should drink it neat. need. I, I said, dude, whatever you like, my goal is to get you what you enjoy and bring pleasure to you. It's not to be a judgment. It's not to set rules because, you know, sadly only 18% of the American population drink, drinks whiskey on a regular basis. And, and, and I just think we need to do something about that. Yeah. And that's part of what we do is because when you have, you know, Maplewood and cherry wood, it makes a softer whiskey. We bring p- new people in and grow the category. We need to, Procter & Gamble taught me it's about not share taking, but it's about growing the category. Absolutely. That's what we've got to be about. And that's what we do when a distiller franchises, the, the Woodcraft system, they grow their customer base. They get new customers. That's how you grow a business. And we know
1: uh, whiskey makes life rich in so many ways, right? Makes people's lives rich as well because it brings together great people with great conversation. Uh, Doug, on behalf of the Distilled Spirits Council, thank you for all that you do. Uh, I am looking forward uh, to coming to Cincinnati and uh, having that experience. And for all of our listeners please visit and please drive, try these great blended whiskeys. And uh, we're excited about all of your progress and all of your contributions to the industry. So three cheers to you and thank you for being with us.
0: And thank, thank you so much for all that you folks do. And I'll be seeing you in Austin, Um, I'm on one of the panels down there. Absolutely. We'll be there and look forward to doing more things to collaborate with education and that with your incredible team that you've got there.
1: I can't wait to see you in Austin. That is October 6th through the 8th in Austin. For those of you who are listening who haven't signed up, please come together because it'll be a great experience. It will be You know, God willing, we're maybe on the backside of this pandemic that we've had to live through, should be a great time for everybody to come together. And uh, in the meantime, virtual fist bump to you, and I'll see you in Cincinnati at some point. Excellent.
0: The Spirited Advocate podcast was brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. If you'd like to be a guest speaker on the show or send us topic suggestions to cover, please contact us at podcast at distilled And please like and share these episodes. Your support is very appreciated.